Let me read you an obituary. It's from February 10th, 2005. As about 100 people gathered at the Pittsburgh Athletic Association to honor the memory of their friend, mentor, and boss last night, staff members of the Laurel Foundation wondered aloud if the late Cordelia Scaife May would have wanted a big reception in her honor. A private, sensitive woman whose loyalty, generosity, and warmth endeared her to people, Mrs. May chose her friends carefully and preferred small groups to large gatherings. She died last month of pancreatic cancer at her home, Cold Comfort Farm. Witty, literate, an ardent lover of nature and all its creatures, Mrs. May was an heir to the Mellon banking fortune. But when she traveled, she usually waited for the hotel housekeeping staff to arrive and help them make her bed. She liked to feel the wind in her hair, too. Parked in the large ballroom was a large silver and black Harley-Davidson motorcycle that she often rode as a passenger with her friend, former state treasurer Barbara Heffer. And the Fred Rogers dinosaur, part of the Dynomite Days her foundation sponsored last year, stood in the room, too. Photos of May were mounted on easels arranged throughout the room, including one of her standing next to a large cutout of Billy Ray Cyrus, whose music she adored. May also disliked eulogies, which she called sappy speeches. So when Donna Panazzi, vice president of the Laurel Foundation, stood up, she told the audience that Mrs. May would want everyone to be laughing. Panazzi recalled that she always referred to her boss as Mrs. May, but May, a mischievous prankster, joked that other titles were acceptable as well and occasionally signed her notes to Panazzi as the Queen or El Basso Supremo. So, honestly, the person described in that obituary seems delightful. Nick Coolish, an investigative reporter for The New York Times, is at work on a book about May. She comes across as, as someone who's, who's incredibly witty, you know, and, and charming, and somebody who makes a really, you know, makes a really positive, positive impression. Probably like the, the aunt, you know, that you always kind of wish eccentric but well-read but kind of funny you know aunt who who comes along for the holidays and then you know unfortunately maybe after a couple of drinks you know there's a couple of things that you wish that you wish that she hadn't said about immigrants what kinds of embarrassing things might dotty old aunt cordelia bring up Immigration, I feel, is the root cause of unemployment, inflation, urban sprawl, highway and skyway congestion, shortages of all sorts, not the least of which is energy, vanishing farmland, environmental deterioration, and civil unrest. And? When we hear of immigrants, we instinctively think of Mexicans, because they are the most numerous and given the greatest press coverage. In truth, we are being invaded on all fronts. Filipinos are pouring into Hawaii. Almost anyone from the Caribbean countries and eastern South America who can make it to the Virgin Islands or Puerto Rico can eventually make it to the U.S. mainland. When the Mariel boat people arrived in Florida from Cuba, much was made of the possibly deleterious impact they may have on American life. But no reporter, columnist, nor commentator cited their most dangerous contribution of all. A birth rate far higher than that of our native population. They breed like hamsters. Like many white people's inconvenient in-laws, Cordelia Scaife May was also a bigot. 
Unlike most of our in-laws, Cordelia was, in her time, one of the wealthiest women in the United States, and she used a vast amount of that fortune, at least $444 million, to promote a specific vision of restrictionist immigration, one that has come to sound quite familiar. We have a moral obligation to admit the world's poor, they tell us, even if it makes our own country poorer and dirtier and more divided. You may wonder what Cordelia has to do with conversion narratives. In the largest sense, you could say she bankrolled the conversion of the Republican Party from a Chamber of Commerce-style promoter of immigration for the sake of cheap labor to, well, what it is today. But Cordelia has a conversion story of her own, too. She was an environmentalist and a champion of feminist causes decades before either of those things were very popular. And then she became a nativist scold, paranoid about American resources and the future of the white race, before either of those things were very popular either. This, my friends, is her story. Part one, Cordelia's upbringing and early politics. Cordelia's money came from her connection to the Mellon family. Her granduncle was Andrew Mellon, who you may have heard of. They were rich in that way that money just keeps making money. And by the time Cordelia was born, no one in the family actually worked. They spent their money and they thought about who else wanted their money. Mostly, they drank. My mother was just a gutter drunk. So was Dick. So was I. Now, Dick there is Richard Mellon Scaife, a ruthless, rock-ribbed right-winger whose millions financed the doomed effort to bring down Bill Clinton. There are many books and articles about him. He has a starring role in Jane Meyer's Dark Money. But we are not talking about Dick. By all accounts, Cordelia's childhood was joyless and paranoid. If you're talking about loneliness, someone pointed out to me that, that, you know, she, she was born, you know, not around the same time as like the Lindbergh baby kidnapping and that she kind of lived her sort of entire life, like very kind of pretty separated, pretty isolated, kind of watched over, you know, heiress to a famous rich family, uh, but in a way that, that really kind of sets you off at a remove from, from average people. This childhood turns out to be foundational to her first foray into philanthropic activism. First of all, it's no wonder that friends repeatedly noted as she grew older, she seemed to love animals more than people. Throughout her life, starting as soon as she started her own philanthropic foundation at age 23, that's the Laurel Foundation, she gave to almost any conservation cause you could name the National Audubon Society, and the Sierra Club. And she was an even more significant benefactor in her local Pittsburgh, giving to the National Aviary there and the Carnegie Museum of Natural History. And then there's family planning. According to Cordelia, visitors were the only relief from her misery at home and one particular visitor in general. She was the one who put what fun there was into our lives. That would be Margaret Sanger. Now, To you and me, it might be tough to imagine the founder of Planned Parenthood as Mary Poppins, but I suppose the bar for uplift in the Scaife family was pretty low. Cordelia idolized Sanger from an early age and continued a correspondence with her until Sanger died. The bust of Margaret Sanger in the National Portrait Gallery was a gift of Cordelia's. 
And obviously, Sanger is one reason why Cordelia supported the family planning movement. She joined the local Planned Parenthood chapter in her 20s and eventually served on the board of the International Planned Parenthood Federation. Dear Mrs. Sanger, thank you many times for sending me your photograph. It is one I highly value, for as you know, I have always admired and tried to take part in the work that you started. It's probably significant to her later swerve and interest that her passion for Planned Parenthood's policy goals probably had more to do with Sanger than the cause itself. She told people she was initially attracted to Sanger's intensity more than her work or ideals. She was particularly taken with the fact that Sanger had been arrested for her beliefs. Now, this is about the time that Cordelia got interested in population control on a global as well as national scale. That was a big part of Planned Parenthood's mission at the time, and we should note that in the late 60s and 70s, concern about population growth was a mainstream liberal cause. Paul Ehrlich's The Population Bomb was a bestseller, and there was a zero population growth movement that spoke in terms of protecting the planet as much as it did family planning for family planning's sake. Uh, and so so all of those issues nowadays we would lump into one particular bucket, but but a lot of conservationists have often had a preoccupation with population, right? With the idea that too many people means, you know, more suburbs, more roads, you know, killing the natural, natural habitat. And that, you know, that really sets her on the path uh, toward opposing, toward opposing immigration from the, from the ecological population uh, side of the equation. Part two, a vulnerable woman. I don't imagine that Cordelia's life was ever particularly joyous, but as the mid-70s approached, it was about to get worse. Uh, I think that the year 1974 stands out to me as a, as a rather uh, pivotal moment in her life. Her uh, husband, who had been a longtime friend and confidant, uh, was found dead uh, of a shotgun blast to the chest, presumed to be a suicide. Um, and she and her brother had a, had a falling out over the corruption investigation uh, that led to his death. And she really lost two of her sort of most important confidants almost simultaneously, her husband and her brother. And it left her lonelier. And I think in, in, in her letters and in her words, you can see a certain, a certain bitterness creeping in. An example of this bitterness is in this note to John D. Rockefeller, who had also been involved in the zero population growth movement, though his perspective on ZPG was decidedly progressive. They had been discussing global poverty, another goal that united most ZPG advocates. I do not agree at all that the answer lies in a redistribution of the world's wealth. The world's wealth is actually quite limited. Mankind's ability to expand the number who wish to share it seems limitless. You may know the next part of the history here, which is the population bomb failed to explode. And so a lot of zero-growth people found ways to refocus their energies. The Rockefeller Foundation has become a reliable source to all sorts of liberal causes. But at this incredibly sensitive point in her life, a point which anyone would be apt to be seeking security and guidance, Cordelia crossed paths with one John Tanton a Michigan ZPG activist who is invariably described, and I mean this in everything I've ever read about him, he is described as a charismatic ophthalmologist. He was the head of a group called Zero Population Growth uh, that was, you know, intimately involved in these issues. 
And through uh, some people at a group called the Environmental Fund, uh, they, were, they were introduced to each other. And they, they really hit it off. Tanton is widely considered a kind of godfather to the nativist movement in America. The organizations he founded will be familiar to anyone who's following today's politics very closely. There's the Federation for American Immigration Reform, or FAIR, the Center for Immigration Studies, and Numbers USA, just to name three. And his charisma is relevant. You see a relationship, you know, growing between them, right? And it's something that he, that, that he, John Tanton, really cultivates. We have his letters to her, and they are just these unbelievable masterclasses in courting a donor. You know, he's ferreting out information about, you know, endangered birds that she cares about. He's quoting from Shakespeare and from songs. And, you know, I mean, these are like kind of the letters that you think of as what you'd write to woo someone. I mean, literally to try to, to try to romance them. Um, and, you know, here she is, you know, a widow living alone, um, you know, in, in a place literally called cold comfort. And she's receiving these, these incredibly charming letters from, from this guy. Meanwhile, in the files of, of the Federation for American Immigration Reform, you know, you find notes saying, I've got this relationship pretty under control. This is how much she's worth. She gave us another $400,000, you know, so it, it does feel a little bit like, like he, you know, has a, has a dollar sign target uh, on her, but he does a very suave job of, of kind of reeling her in. And this is Cordelia's pivot point. Within a year of meeting Tanton, she had resigned from Planned Parenthood, saying, The unwanted child is not the problem, but rather the wanted one that society, for diverse cultural reasons, demands. She told the head of another progressive ZPG group that family planning and famine relief were a waste of money. Instead, the U.S. should seal its border with Mexico. This relationship with Tanton is Cordelia's ongoing conversion experience. Because as Tanton's seduction continues, she became literally more and more invested in his causes and started to echo the frank racism that Tanton expressed candidly to others. It's a few years into her relationship with Tanton that she writes the letters we quoted at the top of the show. And by 1985, Cordelia came to finance the American reprinting of Camp of the Saints, a violently racist novel known lately for being foundational to the beliefs of Steve Bannon. Cordelia, of course, did not see herself as a racist. Can we not put imaginary paper bags over the immigrants' heads, see them as colorless consumers, and count only their deleterious numbers? Rather, Cordelia felt invigorated by this cause. She seemed to find meaning in her passion and felt that its unpopularity was proof of her righteousness, sort of how she felt about Margaret Sanger. And by the time she was setting up the Colcom Foundation, and that's the one that still does all the racist stuff— this is what she had to say. The issues which I have supported during my lifetime have not been popular ones in many cases, nor do I anticipate that they will be so in the future, when the directors of the foundation will be called upon to exercise the courage of their convictions in carrying out the program I have described in this statement. I urge the directors not to fear controversy. The present of controversy is often a certain sign that unexamined opinions are being challenged. Similarly, I urge the directors to avoid popular campaigns. 
charitable organizations which have a firm hold on the heart and purse strings of the giving public should have no claim on the foundation's limited resources. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Parade. Parade was launched by two best friends, Cami and Jack, in October of 2019. Cami, the CEO, is a first-generation Latina. They make underwear. Their underwear starts at $9, and it is made with a breathable cotton liner and packaged in 100% compostable packaging that biodegrades within 300 days. Their replay style is made with recycled nylon yarns, and for every sale made, 1% goes to Planned Parenthood. Parade features four unique core styles, thong, boy short, cheeky, and brief, in addition to their high-rise thong, with sizes ranging from extra small to 3XL. With Parade, you have the option of choosing from over 20 different colors, so you truly select the style you love best. You can even match your outfit to the parade underwear you're wearing. Their underwear is truly buttery soft and designed to never dig in or roll down. I can attest to this. Also, I want to say the colors are like really fun, like carnival kind of colors, like jade and pink and yellow and stuff. It's really cool. And that is why Parade has been featured in Refinery29, Hype Bay, Forbes, BuzzFeed, Man Repeller, Fashionista, Yahoo, 17, Paper, Nylon, The Cute, Pop Sugar, Allure and in style. Selena Gomez wore the parade scarf in her cover shoot for Dazed. Go to yourparade.com slash friends for 20% off five pairs or more. That's yourparade.com slash friends for 20% off five pairs or more. Yourparade.com slash friends. See site for details. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand and skip the lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save money with discounts you cannot get at the post office. And as if that weren't enough, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts of up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else you are hunkering down right now. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox no human contact required. It's that simple. With Stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off of every first-class stamp and up to 62% off shipping rates. Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. And right now, my listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in friends. That's stamps.com. Enter friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Hydrant. Do you feel exhausted in the morning, even when you've gotten a good night's sleep? You can follow all the best habits and recommendations, but still find yourself starting the day on empty. The cause may be dehydration. You try your best to drink water throughout the day, but that's not possible when you're asleep. You wake up drained because you're going for hours without a single sip. 
and it doesn't have to be that way. Hydrant created a refreshing electrolyte powder that you mix directly into water to efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. It hydrates you quickly and keeps you going for longer. Each rapid hydration mix has four essential electrolytes your body needs. Sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc. It packs a punch to help your body hydrate fast and to stay hydrated. If you're looking for that extra boost of energy, there's also Hydrant Plus Caffeine, which contains 100 milligrams of caffeine from green tea. And Hydrant is backed by research. The formula was developed by an Oxford scientist. It's loved by pro athletes, top performers, celebrities, and has thousands of five-star reviews. It's made with real fruit juice powder, is delicious and refreshing, and it comes in a variety of flavors, including the summer-friendly iced tea, lemonade, and fruit punch. And I kid you not, I am drinking Hydrant right now. Well, not right now, but it is in my water bottle next to me. It is the blood orange flavor. If you associate like powdered orange flavored things with tang, let me assure you the blood orange flavor tastes nothing like tang. It tastes like blood oranges. It is probably my favorite flavor. I have also tried the caffeinated variety and I love the raspberry lemonade version. It is a little weird, I think, to get caffeine from something that doesn't taste like it should have caffeine in it, but... It tastes great, so why not? I also want to add that my husband and I have an ongoing joke about uh, being dehydrated. Like whenever one of us says they feel kind of rotten or whatever, the answer is always like, well, you must be dehydrated. I have taken to holding up my water bottle, which is filled with hydrant water to him when he asked me how I'm doing. Hydrant is backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't love it, send it back for a full refund. You need to try it for yourself to see what I'm talking about. It tastes great and it works. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. Save even more with a monthly subscription. And we have a special deal, of course, for our listeners. To save 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash friends and enter promo code friends at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com slash friends and enter promo code friends for 25% off your first order drinkhydrant.com slash friends, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. With Friends Like These is brought to you by KiwiCo. Parents, you may feel like your kids' summer vacation started way early if you've been at home together all this time, and now actual summer vacation is here, but do you feel like you actually did that homeschooling thing? But it's also now summer vacation, so how are you going to get the schooling in? There is a secret way to do it, a secret delivery system, and that is KiwiCo. They deliver crates based on all kinds of different interests that are actually really pretty educational in addition to being fun. I um, am kidless, as listeners to the show may know, but I have some adorable uh, nieces and a nephew, and I have delighted in sending them crates that do not conform to standard gender norms. Uh, My nephew is getting a lot of, like, art stuff, and my nieces are getting engineering and STEM and whatever else I can find that, you know, isn't, like, necessarily girly. This is my counter-programming to the whole, um, my in-laws are kind of conservative. So I'm really enjoying this. I happen to know they're enjoying it, too. They don't mind my little secret campaign. Apparently, it's not that secret. And your child can get these super cool hands-on science and art projects delivered to your door every month. What kid doesn't love getting mail? These are real science and engineering and art projects. This is not some 
It's not kid stuff. It's actual projects. And there are different crates for kids of all ages, so there's something for every kid you know. There's no commitment. You can pause or cancel anytime. KiwiCo is redefining play with hands-on projects that build confidence, creativity, and critical thinking skills. There is something for every kid or a kid at heart at KiwiCo. Get your first month free on select crates at kiwico.com slash friends. That's kiwico.com slash friends. And now I think it's time for a new obituary for Cordelia. It will be somewhat different from the one at the start of the show. If I was writing it today, I'd start with the most important thing about her. Without Cordelia Scaife May, the nativist movement in the United States would not have experienced the growth it did in the way that it did. Her organizations helped prop up the careers of Stephen Miller, of several high-ranking Trump immigration officials, of Kellyanne Conway, and of immigration czar Chris Kobach. In a world without Scaife May, it's possible that Trump could still have gotten elected. But would he have the same pack of ghouls and sadists running things behind his expansive back? She was sensitive and private and preferred to build her network of xenophobes without much fanfare. It is unlikely that her friend Fred Rogers knew the extent of her paranoia about the end of the white race. The nature organizations and museums she donated to she supported in part out of a desire to keep the nation and the environment pure. Friends described her as someone who avoided the limelight intentionally. There is another explanation for why her brother's philanthropy was so well-documented and her own, not so much. The work of white women gets written out of history all the time, and not just when it's history to be proud of. Consider the Klansmen's wives, who probably did more than keep the robes clean. Or consider the attention the press pays to the role of the working-class white man in Trump's victory, even though a majority of white women voted for him, too. Diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, likely precipitated by her chronic alcoholism, Scaife May asphyxiated herself with a plastic bag. She left her fortune to her foundation, which continues to buttress white supremacy to this very day. So what did you think? We did something different this episode, and we'd love to hear, really, what you think about it. Please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And, of course, please, take care of yourselves. 